at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello everyone. How's it going? I know we're uh, recording a little bit later than we normally do, but nonetheless, still plenty of time before football. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, to be honest, I'm a bundle of nerves because we are about just under five hours away from NLDS Game 5, so that <laughs> will be the death of me, probably, um, based on how the series has gone. But otherwise, I feel I'm all right. This is the importance of hedging, Dan. I get to I get to sit back and, and just enjoy the game and really not be overly distraught about the outcome. And that's weird for me in sports because I usually find a reason to get invested in any game in any sport. I mean, not all of us can be so baseball polygamous, John. That's fair. I am I am a baseball Mormon. What can I say? <laughs> Waiting for someone in the comments to. Most Mormons don't have polygamy anymore. It's fun. Without getting too far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we are aware that the Mormon faith is more modern than what we just said. Yeah, very much so. I know many Mormons out here, and none of them are polygamous. Moving on. Um, so Syracuse is facing Virginia on Saturday. And, uh, you know, Virginia's one in four. Um, I think their fans are kind of checked out of the Mike London era at this point. As in like 2013? <laughs> yeah, just like 2013. <laughs> this point is in the last two and a half years. But it seems that the buyout is finally at a point where uh, UVA might actually be uh, be on board with it, which I think is, is, is a good thing for them. Um, we don't face them enough for it really to be a bad thing for us. Uh, but Dan, what do you think about the one and four who's? Are they actually bad? Do we want to look at the pit game is more um you know kind of emblematic of what they may be or or are you too focused in on what happened to them against a team like boise state um i think actually bad is probably fair i don't think they're good um that being said they have played almost every team pretty tough with the exception of boise state who just i I, that game was awful like we were i think i was up in syracuse when that game was happening uh, watching it from the bar, and it was just every, you know, one of those games where you look up every, like, three minutes and Boise has more points. But um, other than that, I mean, they, they played, they lost 34-16 to a, a pretty decent UCLA team. Uh, they should have beaten Notre Dame, um, as we saw. Uh, they beat William & Mary narrowly, which isn't great. Uh, and then they lost to Pitt by a touchdown. So they, aside from Boise, they've been pretty competitive. Um, eventually that doesn't, I mean, as we talk about with Syracuse's own issues, uh, in mid games, you know, being pretty competitive is nice, but it's been, you know, five years for Mike London and he's made one bowl and that was pretty much coming on the, uh, the tail of the last coach. So it's not like, uh, you know, eventually the, it has to turn into wins and hasn't done that yet. Um, I think they're pretty clearly, 
I think they're rightfully considered probably one of the two worst teams in the ACC. Um, that doesn't mean that we are going to go down there and automatically beat them because I will still say that USF was the worst team left on our schedule last weekend and they beat us by 20-something. So it'll still be a, a pretty tough game. I don't think we're, you know, so much better than Virginia that it won't be. Um, but I wouldn't consider them a good team by any stretch. That's very fair. Um, so I know last week you and I had both said that, um, you know, it was awesome to see uh, Syracuse head down to a more manageable op- opponent like USF down in Tampa is the first road game for a lot of these kids um, on, our, on our offense, on our defense, just, you know, a lot of freshmen and a lot of, um, you know, redshirt freshmen and redshirt sophomores, all who were big contributors but hadn't really traveled before. Um, do you still feel the same way? Do you think that last week, um, maybe not just the fact that they were on the road, but the fact that they got shellacked on the road by an inferior team, do you think that that uh, pays dividends this week? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I mean, we don't really know how being on the road impacted last week versus, you know, I know we heard about the heat and whatnot, but that, you know, it's kind of a, a hollow excuse, I think, considering we're playing in a dome that it's like 90 degrees any time in September. So um, it, it's hard to tell how much being on the road in, uh, impacted them or if they just kind of laid an egg and it would have happened to the dome too. So uh, I think, you know, I'm sure they'll be a little more used to the experience of going on the plane and staying in the hotel and everything. Um, uh, you know, maybe that, that kind of shakes the cobwebs off for even the, the guys who have done it in years past. But I, I don't I don't know that uh, take, taking a 20, what, 24-point loss or what was it, 21 point? Was it 45-24? Yeah. The final of the USF game? Yeah, 21-point loss on the road is uh, is ever going to be a great thing against a, you know, one win AAC team. So hopefully we hopefully that is it. Hopefully they just weren't used to it and now they're okay. But I, I don't know that I'd bet on that being the case. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think it's, I think that that, you know, loss while it doesn't necessarily ring uh, very hopeful for us now. I mean, we don't really know what South Florida turns into. I saw them as a team that could really hang around kind of the five, six win mark. So, I mean, no, that's, that's not something to really brag about. But, uh, you know, I'd much rather that versus them trending down the other way and that loss for us looking even worse. Um, you can't really get, you know, a lot of good out of a loss even a week later. I, mean, I think especially a week later. But, uh, you know, if anything, um, hopefully, you know, these players do understand the play on the road. Hopefully that... Uh, that excuse is, is done and tired and out the window. I mean, I know everyone, you know, on Slack and, and even in the, the noon's comment section, everyone was kind of confused about that and on Twitter too, about how the, uh, the temperature down in, you know, central Florida area really had any sort of bearing on this game. And especially when, you know, you can sort of simulate these things, you can turn up the heat in buildings, you, you can do a lot to, to prepare for weather. And it's not like it's the first time, most of these players have been to Florida. It's not like it's the first time that the program has faced USF down in Florida. Like, there's a lot of things that, that just shoot that empty excuse in the face. Um, and as Brent Axe pointed out on Twitter when he and I were talking about it, you know, um, on the 31st, we head down to Tallahassee where it's arguably going to be even, you know, more balmy. Yes, a couple weeks later, but um, I, I would say Tallahassee's, you know, I'd say landlocked a little bit more. It gets more into that deep south part of, you know, uh, Alabama. 
um, in the Panhandle versus, you know, at least in Tampa. I feel like there is a little bit of uh, of some fresh air, but I know that's that's minimal at best given the uh, the Florida effect. Yeah, and and heat's just one of those things that it's it's a fact of life when you're playing football in a conference that has multiple Florida teams, a bunch of Southern teams. Like it's not an excuse that anyone's gonna want to hear. Like you're not making anyone feel better. So it, it just you know I could have done without hearing about the heat being an issue, especially because it didn't seem like we had all that many cramping issues, even compared to some games at the dome. Yeah, that's very very true, and I think. You know, you didn't see those cramping issues too until later on in the game when it was already out of hand. So you can't tell me that the cramping and exhaustion from heat. I mean, the players didn't look like they were exhausted. They looked like they were just ill prepared. Um, so I guess, Dan, to you, how how much of the game and the loss in particular was a lack of preparation, and how much of it was just a lack of execution? Uh, I think those are the the major, or at least watching the game from afar, those were the the major things. That impacted it. I mean, USF has some talent. They do get the occasional, you know, really solid uh, Florida player. Um, I think Marlon Mack's legit, but they're 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 not better than LSU for sure. Um, they're probably not that much better than Central Michigan. Um, but it does seem like like Willie Taggart put together a really good game plan. Saw some things he could exploit with misdirection, with uh, some different counter plays, and and they just threw every possible. Uh, misdirection look at us and their grounding just absolutely gashed Syracuse's defense um, in a way we really haven't seen um, very often. I mean, if you're going to beat us with straight talent, that's whatever. I can't get mad about that. But um, the only other time I can remember the bullet defense uh, really looked that confused and, and unable to react to a play was when Georgia Tech ran their triple option all over us Um and, and South Florida definitely ran an offense that we don't see a ton of um, with all of that misdirection, which was like the, the total staple of the running game for them. And I'm not sure if that's been it the whole year or if they just identified that Syracuse wasn't in those situations, but it, it was ugly. So um, generally the, the defensive coaching staff has been able to adjust to things like that outside of that Georgia Tech game. Um, they just weren't for South Florida. So hopefully it's just a blip, but it was not encouraging and it did kind of a, uh, Pretty much all the fears that we had between, uh, going into the game, um, between maybe, maybe we didn't point out you know counters so much, but but even the screen passing game was huge for them, um, and we talked about that a lot. So it, it wasn't uh, it basically justified the the minimal fears we had heading into the game, and it makes me worried for um, pretty much everyone going forward because I think pretty much every team on the schedule can find a way to dump balls out to the running back in the flat. Um, what's going to happen with Dalvin Cook? It's a in the open field like it's going to be really really ugly yeah that's the scary part here and i know like in some ways you want to say well you know this is the the anomaly still on the schedule but at the same time i mean there's been things that have been true since the wake forest game because i think the rhode island game you can throw out those results you can throw out those statistics um looking solely at from wake forest to now uh, there are some really, really big issues with this defense, and anyone telling themselves otherwise, you know, is, is just straight up lying to themselves, to others, to whomever. Um, you look at a team that it struggles to cover passes in the flat, uh, that struggles to cover downfield because you're looking at ten yard cushions and and corners on an island. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you're looking at a team that, while we keep talking about how great um, they are against the run. 
Um, a Wake Forest team that, that can't run was, was gashing them between the tackles. Um, a Central Michigan team that, honestly, we should have a huge size advantage on um, in the trenches was, was gashing them. Uh, an LSU team that, yes, was supposed to, but, you know, it was something I hinted on at um, in that game was just they were getting manhandled and it looked bad. And, you know, yes, it's Fournette, so I'm not going to really come down on them too much, but Fournette did still you know, record his career high in, in yardage in that game and would have had, you know, another, what, 80-plus yards if not for that other run that got called back. Um, and then USF. I mean, USF, they ran the ball primarily, but not the way they did. I mean, it's all because um, everybody on, you know, the Syracuse team is way too quick to bite um, when they do blitz. And it seems like they're reducing blitzing a little bit uh, oddly. But when they do blitz, they're over-pursuing. Um, nobody's wrapping up. And uh, while this game might have been just a case of just straight up getting beat a lot of the time, I mean, the lack of wrapping up has become, you know, kind of a calling card of this defense. And what, what I kind of want to know now is, you know, where are the answers? Because with this group, it's, it's not like there's really a ton of injuries right now. Um, it's not like there had, wasn't enough time to prepare for this game. We had two weeks uh, I, I'm just I'm getting concerned that this is just going to keep happening, and the teams. I mean, if me, someone who covers the team, but you know, isn't spending hours in a film room or hours coaching kids, can identify the short passing game as a key to to the entire uh, you know USF offense, and and our own coaches can't or, or won't or can't get the results on the field to stop it, then I'm I'm definitely trending more negatively on on the outlook for the rest of the year yeah and and hopefully this is all just one bad performance and they they bounce back but um looking at the numbers for virginia their uh leading receiver uh as you you know we probably don't want to see is uh their running back take uh Mazel, who has 35 target well he's other leading receivers one catch behind Kanan severin who's actually who's very good but he has three touchdown catches he uh, averages over 13 and a half. He averages 13 and a half yards a catch, um, almost 10 yards a target, and he's their leader in tar- targets. So they throw to the flat a lot. Um, so it, that's worrisome if if the t- if the staff can't shore that up. Um, and then obviously he has Severin, who's a, a very legitimate good receiver. So their passing game isn't great, but uh, it does do the things that Dave Syracuse fits last week. Um, and unfortunately, if we're going to continue leaving our quarterback on our cornerbacks on islands and not doing anything to prevent that short passing game from just eating up chunks of yardage, uh, it doesn't matter if teams don't go deep on us. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a concern, but maybe it was just one bad week of preparation. Um, obviously, the, the weeks before that, uh, there were other issues. Um, Overall, it's 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 hard to know. This team still continues to be pretty unpredictable from week to week. Um, where you know, in years past, we kind of knew what we were at this point without barring injuries. Uh, we're pretty healthy now, and and I still don't have a good read on on what Syracuse looks like. Um, I will have a very good read on what they look like if they lose this game, which is not good. So, hopefully, we can avoid that and continue the mystery going forward. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, you know, uh, before the season I said that it wasn't this game, it wasn't the USF game, um, it was the Pitt game that really kind of defined what the season is, and obviously, you know, we, we had hopes that we'd be 5-1 going into that Pitt game, 
Um, it seems like, I mean, foreign, we're, we're looking at foreign two seems much, much, much more probable now um, versus, you know, three and three. But I, I think that could also be, you know, a little bit of us getting our hopes up, et cetera. I think in general, um, that pit game, again, is going to really decide, you know, what are you, what can you do well, what can't you do well, are you going to make a bowl? Because the season's going to come down to, at this point, what happens against Pitt, UVA, NC State, and Boston College. So that's the next two games and then the last two games. Um, and in between, I mean, you don't want to chalk up games to a loss, but I'm pretty certain, I think you're pretty certain, too, that, that we're not going to have a great showing against Clemson and Florida State. Uh, Louisville's still uh, debatable, um, but for right now, I'll, I'll keep them in the bucket that we had them in going into this season. Yeah, after I lose South Florida by 21, I'm not exactly predicting a uh, win in Tallahassee. That is correct. <laughs> or, or a win in Syracuse against the number one ranked uh, S&P team. Also fair. Um, I know you mentioned Severin, and I think that he is uh, probably the X factor for this defense, especially well, offense. Excuse me, given the fact that Syracuse defense is well not great against the pass, especially um, you know I think teams have been taking I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know taking three to five shots downfield and connecting on all of them. It doesn't matter if you're you know flea flicker reverse. It, it, it just seems that you know play action. It, it doesn't matter. You could you could just do a, a quick three step drop and you'll probably beat us, you know, forty yards deep. Um, and I think that Severin is a type of athlete. Um, and I was I was paying attention to him last week and I was paying attention to him in the Notre Dame game as well. Um, and he is a guy who can who can find himself open, who can get downfield very quickly. Um, and I'm not really impressed by Matt Johns, but at the same time, you know, we, we we've made lesser quarterbacks look better, um, and and that to me is, is is the really really scary factor of you know what ha- i mean what happens if this team starts like like any other really the face series what happens if this team starts connecting on deep balls i i think we're i think we're dead to rights because it's not that i think that eric dungy can't bring the team back it's that i don't think it's fair to force him to bring us back because i feel like it it cuts the the play calling in half it really handcuffs what he can do um it, it fails to utilize a lot of our, uh, our running backs, in particular uh, Jordan Fredericks. I mean, you saw the numbers in the play-calling breakdown just like everybody else. Um, I mean, we just decided we were just passing the ball. There was no there was no run. There was no question of, of misdirection after a while. There was no question of play action. It was just Dungey's going to throw. They could blitz, you know, four to five guys um, and see what happened. And for a while it was working for us. And then after, you know, some time you can't expect Dungey to just continually connect and continually uh you know get the ball in the end zone when the offensive line uh was was fading very quickly in the second half um and you know with, with drives for usf getting faster and faster there was much less time for for syracuse's skill players to you know get a few minutes of rest some water and uh and then get back out there at 100 percent. yeah i mean we have to remember he's a freshman and he's you know, there are so many things he hasn't seen in games yet. He's only played a couple of teams, different looks, whatnot. Um, and I thought he actually, you know, he didn't have a great game by far, you know, was not his best game by any means. But I actually thought his performance was pretty decent for, like, a bad game from a freshman. Like, 
his, you know, 232 yards, two touchdowns, only one pick, his first pick of the year, um, completed, you know, roughly two-thirds of his passes. Um, I mean, if that's a bad game from Eric Dungy, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty, you know, makes me feel better. Um, I do think he's been very quick trigger to pull the ball and run. Um, and the options, like, I, I like them situationally. I don't like them being the staple of the run game. But there is no way Eric Dungy should be getting 17 carries. It's just not It's not healthy. He's not, like, there physically yet. Uh, I'm fine with him scrambling on occasion and taking off what he's been picking up a big chunk of yardage. And I, I like the option every so often when it's an attached defense off guard. But, I mean, we saw it in USF. Like, they were, I mean, they gave a couple big plays on it, but they were generally ready for it. It wasn't a surprise. They knew it was coming. So, Hopefully uh, we can start getting the you know traditional run game a little bit more uh, of a look. Jordan Frederick's had some some moments. Um, obviously his biggest one was on that dump off pass, but I think uh, I'm glad to see he's atop the depth chart. But there, there's we really need to get our running backs more than than five, four or five carries in a game. Um, obviously we were playing from behind, but I do think uh, we need to find the right equation there because what we did in South Florida didn't work. Right. And, and, you know, I think this is where, uh, when I do the weekly play calling breakdown, something that provides a little bit of value is the fact that I'm not counting pocket breakdown scrambles as, as runs. I'm counting them as passes because they were called pass plays. Um, with Dungy, that can be a little bit of a gray area um, just because there are so many play fakes and he'll literally play action into a, a bootleg or, or play action into an option uh, look. But what you saw in that game were you know, twice as many uh, passing plays called as run plays. And that was the second straight week we'd seen that. Um, and it was a concern for a lot of folks heading into the season of, well, you know, Lester's a former QB coach. He's a former QB. This seems like a recipe for us going more and more toward the pass. And maybe it is. Uh, I think what, if that is the case, what he's missing out on is the fact that we throw the ball best when we're running effectively. Um, he seemed to harp on that a little bit um, in, in comments to the media. He was saying that, that Dungy took off a couple too many times. I don't think that's really... The blame shouldn't necessarily be put on the freshman quarterback. I think it might want to be on the veteran offensive line that couldn't uh, really you know, help him out for, for much of that game. I know that there was some... Uh, there was definitely some consternation around... I know I made comments about it. I think Sean did too, like that the guy has to scramble too much, but Dungy and Lester also have a little too much confidence in what... Dungy can do um, with those option looks. Um, I mean, that you and I said the same thing, and everybody else did too. That that one uh, play on the sideline, where you know he's got to learn how to how to tuck the ball. He's got to learn how to you know get on the ground because you take a couple hits like that, and your career's over, kid. Like I, I don't know what else to say. Like you would think, and and I, I like the fearlessness, especially coming back from a concussion, but. If he gets another hit or two like that, he's going to have another concussion, and then we're going to be, you know, SOL at the quarterback position again. Um, so I really do hope that, you know, whether it's it's by play design, which should be, um, and or by, you know, his own decision making, that this becomes um, a much less reckless kind of, you know, fly by the seat of your pants offense and, and more of a concerted attack. It doesn't need to be basic handoffs either. We can run some counters. We have delayed handoffs. Uh, Fredericks obviously knows how to, to tear it up both on the edge and between the tackles. Like, utilize him. Get him carries. Find a way to... I mean, the fact that McFarlane was, was really not at, all, not at all on the field 
and it wasn't due to health or anything. It was just because they didn't use them. Like to me, uh, you know, that that's inexplicable, and it's 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 something that's got to be addressed against Virginia or or else we're uh, we're in for a very rough second half of the season. Yeah, and it's not to you know harp on Dungey too much because he is a freshman, and one of the things with freshman quarterbacks that you do see is that they don't quite have that internal clock perfect. Um, so I'm not shocked that he was pulling the ball as much as he did. I just think that needs to be a point of, uh, you know, a learning point going forward. But, um, I think the concussion thing is, is a good point. Cause I've been thinking this week with the AJ lawn news. Um, and I, and I totally support Syracuse in their concussion policy. I think it's a good one. Um, I'm fine being conservative with it because it's, you know, all the stuff coming out about CTE and even subconcussive hits, uh, is really terrifying. Um, but we do want to be careful with our players, you know, for their own health. And, and Dungy, we don't know 100% that he's in concussion, but I think we're all pretty confident that's what he had, that's what he was out with. Um, so he's, you know, two straights away. And I would hope that the team wouldn't uh, go against its own, you know, ethical standards to protect a, a starting quarterback. So I think everyone involved just needs to be um, kind of aware of the situation and, and, make sure he's in the best position to succeed both as a quarterback and physically. Um, because obviously he's, you know, he's only been on campus for a couple of months. So hopefully you get a little less concussion prone as he, you know, gets in, does all the, the various weight training, which I, I don't know how much is proven, but there are some things with like neck muscles and stuff that people think will help concussion pro, uh, prevention. But overall we just, you know, we don't want to lose players, because of a either a, a reckless style of play or or play calling that is putting them in bad situations, and I'm not saying that was necessarily the case, but it is something to be cognizant of, especially with the long news coming out this week. Oh, of course, and and yeah, like you said, you don't want to point a finger at at Dungey or Lester um, on their own here. It's just more of a, hey guys, why don't we why don't we just think these things through a little bit <laughs> before we're you know, I mean. My, you know, heart was in my throat, and I'm sure you felt the same way during that one hit where, I mean, the guy helicoptered, and I thought for a second he went basically ragdoll. Like, that's not, I, I don't care if you're a fifth-year senior, that's not what you want to see. Um, and, you know, it's another case of, and I think Dungy's going to see this a lot, I don't think it's right, but when when Dungy gets, gets firing on all cylinders, he's pretty tough to stop and I think we you know we saw this against CMU and I think that's part of what led to the frustration um, on CMU's side that ultimately you know kind of brought about that adrenaline rush and the dirty hit um, on him but you could see the frustration um, you know on the faces of those players during that that drive where the injury happened um, and for USF I, I think once they got rolling I mean yes they were up but I, I don't necessarily think they took kindly to to a freshman really kind of being able to to just carve through that defense um, whether it was on the ground or through the air and it's just something to keep in mind that you know don't make yourself a target um, unnecessarily obviously he's going to take off obviously his legs are part of his uh, selling point but there is a there, there is a caveat there and we have skilled players um, we have players who can block for you don't put yourself in harm's way if you don't need to yeah for sure and uh Hopefully this weekend, you know, we'll 
have the exact opposite game and we go and surprise and win by 20 and then we just have no idea what this team is and hopefully there's no injuries and then I think I don't know how much how much whiplash the fan base will have but uh, I guess it'd be better than the alternative of, of losing this game and then things seem incredibly dire yes please right, and on that note a uh, little halftime we, uh, what have you been drinking Dan you know it's been a it's been a trying week as uh, as baseball is is baseballing all over the place um yeah i'm just glad i'm not uh i mean as, as tough as it's been for the mets i mean i don't know how i would have reacted if i was a blue jays fan yesterday after that seventh inning but um uh nothing too crazy this week um I tried uh, some, well, I've had it before, but Sierra Nevada's Oktoberfest, which is just available this year, uh, quite good. Um, definitely a different thing for them to try out, but uh, unsurprisingly, they did it pretty well. Um, and then Magic Hat, uh, which I'm a fan of generally, has their Wilhelm Stream pumpkin beer, which wasn't as big on. I think it was like almost a little too sweet, too kind of too much with the the you know hitting you over the head with the flavor um which i'm not as big a fan of i like it to be more of a beer that tastes like uh you know with some pumpkin flavors rather than uh, a pumpkin drink that happens to be alcoholic so uh and then just a lot of other like standard stuff that we talk about a decent amount 312 urban wheat etc so no need to really go too far into those but it's been a kind of a normal week just lots of more probably more drinking than than usual during the week with all these these baseball games, which have been quite stressful. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, for me, uh, had Modern Times the their first double IPA. It's a Lost Horizon. Really, really good beer. Was having that during the Mets Dodgers game last Friday. Um, was it Friday? Yes, it was Friday. Um, had a Deschutes has their uh, annual. Kind of a Black Butte uh, anniversary ale. This was the uh, the twenty seventh edition. Uh, it was like a really interesting um, Imperial Stout. I want to say. Mm, maybe it was a porter. Could have been a porter, but yeah, it was aged in bourbon barrels. They had some cocoa nibs. There was a, seemed like a little bit of apricot. Overall, really enjoyable beer. I don't know how much uh, Deschutes gets around on the East Coast, but I'd highly recommend it if you can find it. Um, had Modern Times Floating World um, over at a uh, beer shop over by me. Very, very good IPA from them. And Mega Blazing World. Uh, Blazing World is their uh, very good hoppy amber. Um, and Mega Blazing World is the double version of that. And also went over to uh, Phantom Carriage. Um, over in Carson, California, not too far from here. Uh, just kind of popped over on I think it was Saturday night. Uh, they kind of have a 50s horror theme as their uh, their whole shtick. And a lot of great sours. Uh, the one I really liked was the uh, Lugosi. It was, a, it was a dark sour. Really enjoyable stuff. Kind of saved that one for last, which I liked a lot. Um, and then last night had a uh, Noble Ale Works Galaxy Showers. Uh, talk about Noble a bunch. They're down um, in Anaheim, like right across the street from the pond and uh, the Angel Stadium. And they have their shower series, which is double IPA series that features, uh, you know, one kind of hop strain, this time Galaxy, 
again, just very, very good. So yeah, that's uh, that's my whole beer repertoire for the past week. Yeah, I'm going to assume that, well, I don't know about you, I know you're staying neutral and, you know, going to be happy with whoever advances tonight, but uh, I'm going to take a guess and say there might be some beer consumed in the my Manhattan apartment tonight. <laughs> um, One way or the other. Yeah, it's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's It's been, I don't know, I'm, I'm very nervous. I don't like facing Zach Grinke in elimination games. I have all the faith in Jacob DeGrom in the world, but, oh, I, I don't know. We'll see. That last game killed me. So if they win, Secret. then I feel a little better in a seven-game series than a five. And against the Cubs, who have one pitcher who's really worth his salt. But we'll get to that if we get to that. It's fair. I know for me, I... Uh... If I had a rooting interest in any of these games, it was in Game 4, just because I felt that, you know, Kershaw's gotten kind of a bad rap as a playoff pitcher, and for anyone who's been paying attention, and it's odd because you would think people that were paying to write about baseball would pay attention, um, he really hasn't pitched poorly. He's had a lot of great starts that have had either a bad seventh inning or, you know, he's had some, some terrible relief help or no run support. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't have it in front of me, but I doubt his playoff ERA is is really above three. <laughs> like, I mean, he had the yeah, two really time. bad starts, which I think were back to back, and that kind of sours everyone. They were back to back, the ones last year. Yeah, but that said, I'm pretty sure he gave up four and one and three in the other. Now in the playoffs. That's a different story. Like, obviously, like if you gave up four runs and three runs the next game during the regular season, I don't think anyone's sitting there going, oh, what a terrible pitcher. Um, but it just so happened that both games uh, were kind of mirror images of one another. Um, both games saw him go into the seventh and, you know, was pitching well, and suddenly the, the you know, kind of wheels came off. Um, wasn't great because he's not the type of pitcher during the regular season at all. I mean... I was at uh, that one fifteen strikeout game this past season where, I mean, he basically shouted Donnie down and told him to get back in the dugout while just, you know, plowing through Giants batters. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I wanted him to just get the win just so we could move on from that narrative. And I know it's not completely dead, and obviously if the Dodgers lose tonight, um, it'll be very much alive um, just because of the fact that you know, Kershaw is still two and six uh, in playoff starts. There's just not a there's not a lot of things to hang your hat on besides you know he's got a high strikeout count and he doesn't have a horrendous ERA. Um, so we'll see. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm neutral. I, I I win kind of no matter what. That's a terrible thing to do in sports, and it's not something I endorse in any other sport. Um, I have extenuating circumstances in baseball, and I will leave my excuses at that. Yep. Well, I will be happy to welcome you fully aboard the Mets bandwagon. Should we somehow outlast the Dodgers in this coming game? Um, I am very unconfident that that will happen, but we'll see. We do have Harvey and Cinderdart available tonight, so if the drama falters, we are just going to go all out with all of our, our incredible depth of pitching and hope that can kind of stymie uh, what drink he's going to do to us, which I'm sure he'll give up like three hits and maybe we'll get lucky and scratch a header on, but... 
more than that, I, I really don't know. Uh, hopefully, if we can get into the bullpen in any kind, like, if we get into the bullpen by the seventh inning, like, that's pretty much all I can hope for runs, you know, aside from any runs. And uh, if it's close and both starters are out, then I'll feel pretty good. But otherwise, it's going to be a nail-biter. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's not, there's nothing really about this series that has made sense um, start to finish, which is weird because I feel like even at the end of the day, if something unexpected happens, it's because of that one thing you thought, okay, like if, if that occurs, then we're going to see this result. Um, and I don't think it's likely, but it could happen. In this one, I feel like every game's been weird. Every game's kind of... Every game has existed both in a bubble and as a as a greater sum of five parts. Um, I think that, you know, game three is, was just an absolutely insane show of force by the Mets and was obviously powered by what happened in game two. Um, I think game four for the Dodgers was, by and large, you know, willed into existence by Kershaw and the fact that you know, batters just have not supported him. It's it, it's been a crazy weird series. I think the the playoffs have been crazy weird, and I think um, the fact that the Cardinals are out now is obviously a victory for all of us. Um, and on top of that, it's uh, it, it makes things incredibly interesting because you have a lot. I mean, at this point, the Royals are the most experienced team left, and and other than the Cardinals to start, they already were the most experienced team um, in the playoffs, really. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know I, uh, I was mentioned to a friend of mine. It's weird. I've for the NL teams, all four of them, I have been to every ballpark this year. So my new thing is, if somebody wants to make the World Series on the NL side, have me at your ballpark because chances are your team is at least going to make the playoffs. That's clearly that's clearly the uh, what what happened here. That's exactly what happened. I mean, I, I even I even briefly was 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 next to the Cardinals ballpark and was hanging out in the concourse. So I feel like it was it was just me. It wasn't the drafting. It wasn't the matchups. It was uh, it was really just my presence. Yes, which doesn't explain anything to do with Syracuse football. <laughs> um, actually, I have a whole nother. Theory about Syracuse football. Syracuse football has not lost a game I've attended since early November of 2009. Well then. <laughs> so, again, moral of the story is somebody pay for me to go to Syracuse football games. Moral of the story is to play Wake Forest more often. Also true. Although this year I'll be at NC State, which could be a harbinger of good things. I would enjoy beating them. I, I, it's funny. I know we talk about this occasionally on the site. Like, there's, outside of Clemson, like, I feel like I just hate NC State, <laughs> and I don't know why. Like, I mean, I know a little bit why, because they got really lucky last year against, like, our third string team, basically, um, and then, you know, Godfrey's comments about us before we even got there, um, I felt were just stupid, but, yeah, in general, like, I, I don't like perennial dark horses that never deliver and like goes for them goes for North Carolina a little bit but we don't face them as much um, there's just a certain amount of like I just get sick and tired of hearing about untapped potential yeah and they were kind of like dickish when we joined the conference which was never they pretty much kind of decided how we uh, how we chose to like or not or dislike uh, teams going going forward I think Clemson obviously came in hot but uh 
NC State with the Dodd-Fried stuff, what well, didn't help. Um, and obviously they didn't like us because we took over the basketball arena the year before, which they did clearly didn't realize was a thing that we do. Um, but now they know. See, yeah, I, I wouldn't blame people for not knowing that. Um, especially, I feel like the ACC, uh, more than any other conference, really does exist in like this insular kind of like land apart from everything, um, while also being at the center of everything at the same time for college basketball. Like the Pac-12 hangs out on the west, like literally doesn't pay attention to anything else that goes on, but also no one's paying attention to it. Um, and that sucks because I feel like that was the way it was for Pac-12 football for a long time until, um, you know, Scott showed up and really kind of changed the way that, that uh, league scene. But where he hasn't done it is basketball. Um, I think basketball still kind of exists in this weird kind of West Coast bubble. But the ACC, they've always kind of existed. And I saw that I felt this way when we were in eight, the uh, Big East, too. Um, I felt that, you know, the ACC had kind of become this, you know, insular group out there. Um, they did their thing. They were usually one of the big storylines of the season, but they really couldn't care less for the things that happened outside of the conference. Um, and, and I feel that that is once again the case here. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's especially with basketball. I mean, the, A- the ACC is kind of we. It's it's the only major conference that cares about basketball as a whole more than football. So it's always going to be a bit of an outsider in that way. Um, and there was, you know, a bit of that Carolina superiority complex, which I think generally thumbed its nose at the Big East. So um, even when the Big East was a better league for years. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, I think that's partially true. And it is definitely true about the Pac-12. Even in football, I think there's um, uh, just a difference in attitude out in the Pac-12. I, I always get the feeling that, you know, we're in the SEC, football is like, the number one thing in the Pac-12, they'll fill up the, you know, well, for the most part, they'll fill the stadiums and, and Saturdays are big, but like the rest of the week, I feel like football isn't the, you know, the whole week isn't dedicated towards the build up to Saturday where it is in the SEC and uh, parts of the big 12 and the big 10 and whatnot. So I think it's definitely like a different feel overall uh, in that conference. And then basketball, is just kind of like an unknown, unknown thing outside of like Arizona when they're good or UCLA on occasion because they do have some they, they have been a pretty decent league um for the last couple of years after that one year where they were pretty terrible um I enjoy watching their games you get Bill Walton which is always nice <laughs> yeah you bring up a good point there I mean as, as someone who is in the uh, clearly in the footprint uh, for the Pac-12 and and arguably in the uh in the kind of center of of the league given both its you know actual geographic center as well as the two biggest brands it has to offer, uh, USC and UCLA, um, from an all sports standpoint, I think you know you're right. The build up to these games just isn't like I'll talk about on Monday if I'm going to an SC or UCLA game. I'll talk about it and like everyone's like, oh, they're playing this weekend. Who are they playing? Like, and, and I just feel like you would never see that. Um, down south. I know for me, I brought up the basketball thing in particular because you literally do not hear about Pac-12 basketball here, um, like at all. Um, the only time I hear anything about Pac-12 basketball is um, when I'm listening to uh, the radio on the way into work. Because I, I usually just try to get, I mean, I check Twitter in the morning, but then I try to at least get like a, a broad strokes view of what's going on in sports on the way in. So like Dan Patrick happens to be on. Um, I'll get a quick kind of download on what the big stories are, but um, 
what I, what I find interesting is that the only time I hear about uh, even UCLA basketball is like when they have promos on, on that uh, station. And it's odd to me. I think that, you know, I mean, this is just such a Lakers town when it comes to basketball that like UCLA's recent, you know, kind of not, I guess not mediocrity, but mediocrity for them. Uh, overall, their lack of titles in, in the last 20 years or so. Um, and obviously the Lakers have done a hell of a lot. Um, I mean, even now, like you're still seeing more conversations about the Lakers than the Clippers. Um, and Dan, I'm sure as a Nets fan in New York, you can relate to that sort of, you know, one team is doing better than the other, but they're still talking about the other one <laughs> type narrative when it comes to the Knicks and Nets. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I can't really blame them uh, in the Nets Nets thing because while the Nets are have definitely been the better, I mean they've been been the better franchise for over a decade now, pretty consistently. Uh, aside from like the the really awful like couple years before Billy King took back over, um, the Knicks are hilarious at least, and they're they're obviously they're in Manhattan, they're at the Garden, so they have that built-in uh, titch there. Um, but they're they're hilarious, like it's a hilarious franchise in terms of just everything they do wrong. Um, the Nets are just generally kind of boring, and I acknowledge this as a Nets fan, both in like playing style. Um, even like the controversies are, are not that exciting compared to the Knicks, so I get it. But um, it is a little lame. Like even like the complaints about the Nets fans, you know, what do you expect? It's it's basically a rebooted franchise in a place that hasn't had pro sports in forever. Um, I've been to a dozen Nets games. You know, it's not sold out, but it's not like there's not it's not half full. Like they they get people in there, so it's. You know, it's kind of a, a fact of life for the Nets right now. Hopefully it, it changes a bit as they become kind of an established part of the, you know, Brooklyn scene and everything. But uh, that's definitely true. So, and I think most of us just kind of learn to live with it. That's fair. I mean, I guess to an extent people deal with that out here when it comes to USC football versus UCLA football and UCLA basketball versus USC basketball. I know there's a bit of it with any Angels fans I know in L.A. County. Um, as much as the Angels try, they are not an L.A. team. They play in Anaheim. Stop saying you're from L.A. You're not. Uh, I know one of uh, my favorite Dodgers shirts that I don't own, but I know a lot of people who own it. Um, is uh, this is you know this is from a couple of years ago. It was just a big in, in big bold letters on the front says uh, Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles, and I've uh, I've always appreciated the sentiment there. The the, the Angels thing is is so is still so ridiculous. Every time I hear it, they're they're the Anaheim Angels. I don't I don't care. It's I, I get the uh, L A Angel thing has kind of just worked, and it is what it is now, but. That when that happened, it was just so bizarre. Thing is, it doesn't work. Nobody cares about them up here. No, I mean, like people have stopped. <laughs> people have started calling them the LA Angels, which I right. guess is what they wanted. But so I'm, I don't know what the breakdown is out there, but it's such, such a ridiculous name for a team. Well, yeah, I mean, from a marketability standpoint, I mean, like, and I'm in I'm in South LA County now, um, and I just don't see anything with Angels like. The billboards don't have like the the furthest north you're going to see anything angels wise is Long Beach, um, which is like the the city right on the border. Like, it's the last place you go before you get to Orange County, um, and you know, that's just a California geography lesson for everybody. Um, and 
That's the, that's the furthest north you're going to see anything Angels related. But the Angels now talking about you know maybe going to Northridge, doing all these other things. Like they they to me, I just hate when teams like they want their they have the cake and eat it too. They want to be they want to benefit from you know the money that's in Anaheim and the you know youth support and the families that are there. But then they also want to call themselves LA, and now they're considering moving themselves to LA. Um, I also understand that this is the pot calling the kettle black since my f- pro football team has housed itself in New Jersey for decades. <laughs> but I don't really care about that um, because someone find me a place in New York State that is reasonable driving distance to the city where you'd be able to house the Giants. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that, that thing is always – maybe you know yelling at the Angels for that, for what they did. But the Angels didn't move. They just decided <laughs> they don't actually exist. It's like – in Connecticut, um, there's a whole thing. If you're up in Bridgeport, uh, which is, if not the biggest city in Connecticut, it's you know one of the two or three. And there's a lot of Bridgeport that's actually really nice uh, compared to what the you know general um, criticisms of it are. It's not the nicest city at all. Um, and there are pl- there are parts that are like really like nice suburban areas, uh, but they just pretend like they're in the surrounding towns of Trumbull and uh, Fairfield. And their kids that live there will go to the schools in Trumbull and Fairfield, and but they, they're actually living in Bridgeport, and people just won't admit that they do. Uh, that's kind of how I feel about the Angels. Um, the Giants and Jets, I mean, where are you going to put a stadium? I mean, they had the whole West Side Stadium thing, but that fell through. Uh, it's just, it, it is what it is. I mean, North Jersey is part of the New York metropolitan area. Um, people aren't like, you know, lying about it's it's more of like a an area thing versus like this team was named after the city that they play in, and now they don't want to be part of that identity anymore. Like the Giants and Jets were never the New Jersey Giants and Jets, and it's just a feasibility thing. It's it's silly. Very true. And that concludes our relocation and general naming rights conversation for the week. Um, Dan, so refocusing on Syracuse football for the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, <laughs> hey, we, we were pretty good, admittedly, on, until about 30 minutes. Yeah, that, that's kind of when we went off the rails. And, and considering what, last week, I don't think we talked about Syracuse in more than five minutes. Um, it's our fault that they lost. We, if we had just focused on the team more and stopped, uh, stopped getting <laughs> off on these tangents, the players would have known more about the, uh, the swing passes. Yeah, I think we, unfortunately, like, it seems like whenever we talk very little about an opponent, we, uh, they lose. I don't know if those things are, uh, are related to one another, but yeah, we definitely, uh, definitely for some reason, these things seem to correlate, at least in my mind, I feel like I've, uh, I've, I've drawn a line. So talking more about UVA, cause I don't want to be superstitious, um, what do you think is going to happen this one, Dan? There's a there's a lot of things that say Syracuse is not going to do well, but there's plenty that says they're going to do well too. Um, that's why I don't really agree with you know where that line opened up um, with SU being you know more than a touchdown underdog. Um, on paper, I think Syracuse is a better team. Um, I think statistically it it's it's very close, but uh, I trust our offense more. I think we have more playmakers. Uh, UVA has some nice defensive players, but. The, the weirdest thing with UVA is they are, unless I'm just missing something, they are yet to um, 
they're yet to pick off a pass, and I think they have one fumble recovery on defense. Like they just do not. It's not a playmaking defense this year, which is weird because they do have Quinn Blanding and a couple other nice players on that side of the ball. Um, but not a lot of havoc going on for them. Uh, they just kind of seem to play their set their you know set packages. It's not a defense that I mean I'm saying this now and Don around throw three picks, but it, it's kind of strange how little they've done on that end. They do have some pass breakups, but that's about it. Um, I just have this real sense of dread with Syracuse right now, based on last week and based how based on how ill prepared the team looked. Um, and it being a, a road game again, I'm going to take Virginia in a narrow win. Uh, I hope I am very wrong, um, but that's just a gut feeling uh, how this one looks. And, and I'm probably being uh, too quick to uh, judge the team based on one bad performance, but um, I do think it's easier to view the Central Michigan and Wake Forest games through a different lens uh, now that the South Florida game happened the way it did versus how the team looked against LSU. So hopefully I'm very wrong, and hopefully Syracuse is able to knock off Virginia, and, and last week looks more like an anomaly, but um, for whatever reason, I just don't feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of where I'm at as much as, uh, much as I don't want to be. Like, there's there's a lot of problems here that I don't think are just going to, like, go away right off the bat. Um, I think we're kind of looking at, you know, a defense that is troublingly, like, not at all good. And it's, again, really weird that... I think somebody in the comments actually pointed out um, something that I found kind of jarring and and interesting um, about, you know, just our general fandom and, and, and all that, that... You know, we, we call Syracuse's defense great, all these things. Like, they've only finished, like, top 50 in the country once, um, according to, I think, S&P metrics in the past, like, decade. And considering that's, like, what we kind of, as a group, hang our hat on, yeah, I... Uh, and it seems like other fan bases do, too, when it comes to us. It's funny, because um, I feel like UVA fans, when I was talking to them, the first thing they were talking about was the SU defense. Um, I, I think it's really funny to me that that's what we're hanging our hat on. That's what Schaefer's hanging his hat on. That's what we're like, you know, praising Bullet for, um, considering that we haven't really been doing that well. And, and it, to me, anyway, that the secondary is just getting worse and worse every single uh, season. Yeah. Uh, the secondary has just been an issue um, pretty consistently, except for a couple moments. But um, I, I think generally this defense has done well. Uh, and maybe it is kind of a youth thing this year, but. Um, if you're going to have like a, a super young defense make a ton of mistakes, it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it's breakdowns in in the uh, the play on the field. It just seems like the scheme has some incredibly uh, not well thought out issues. Like it, it just seems like we're so quick to give up like smaller plays uh, in order to not get beat deep that. Um, we're just allowing teams to to pick up chunk yardage, and then when something happens like the USF uh, flea flicker, um, I guess it was more of a double. What was it? A I can't remember exactly what the trick play was, but it was ridiculous. I think it was a flea flicker. Was it a flea flicker? It was like a yeah. reverse flea flicker or something crazy. Like when when someone actually takes off the top off the defense on us, like it just totally breaks the entire game open because the defense is so dedicated to not getting beat way deep that 
it's still not good enough to guarantee that. So it's not uh, working the way it's designed. So um, I think youth is an easy thing to pin its uses to, and it'd be valid if it was guys just, you know, missing assignments and, and whatnot, but it's a lot of it's just um, the steam doesn't seem to be working as intended most of the time, or a lot of the time, and USF showed that, especially when, you know, they come in with one different look that's not, like, anything too crazy. It's not even as um, way out there as, like, what Georgia Tech runs. Um, it's just a lot of misdirection and stuff, which every team uses, just not to the effect that USF did, but like just one different, you know, offensive style. Um, and the whole game was, was over. And you even heard it after the game where, uh, I forget if it was Buller or Schaefer pretty much said like, Oh, they, you know, played way harder today than they had on tape. Well, shouldn't you be accounting for the team playing as hard as like humanly possible every game? And then if they don't, they don't like it just, it's there wasn't much to be encouraged by before or after or uh, during or after the game, and it's USF and going to UVA. I mean, I don't think they're very good, but they at least keep things close. And a team that can keep things close against Notre Dame or even Pitt is going to be one that can beat Syracuse. So um, hopefully, uh, Syracuse. You know, as I've said, like hopefully it was just. Uh, one really bad outing and the team, the team got super refocused afterwards, but I'm, I've seen this story before. So if, when they prove me wrong, I'll be happy to, uh, to have, to take my comeuppance, which comes in the form of my alma mater winning. So it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, if you, uh, if you make a bold statement about your team losing and they win, um, I don't really see where the punishment part happens other than you being wrong, which to be honest, people who talk about sports, um, either part-time or full-time, by and large, they're wrong just as much, if not more so, than they're right. Because you're not really graded on any of that at the end of the day unless you are uh, happen to be like your, your outlet's gambling expert. Um, I can tell you for a fact that I am not that. I don't think we have one. Which, uh, <laughs> although that, that, would, that would be a good thing for a lot of people uh, that, that we've seen comment on things that are, that are not thrilled about the the rampant use of uh of of Vegas betting lines and things like that. I know those are the same people that got mad at Joey Bats yesterday and to be honest those people can can shove it because and not just because of the gambling stuff, but because anyone who wants to flip their bat every goddamn time they hit anything can do it. Um and as as Sean pointed out on Twitter, I hope Eric Dungey flips something every single time that he scores a touchdown. I don't care. Like shows some character, shows a little bit of you know moxie. I, I'm a fan of it. Yeah, it's crazy that uh, people play sports and have fun doing them. It's kind of a weird thing that you know seems to you know when you think about it, it's actually at the heart of why people play sports. So uh, when they actually show that they're having fun, um, I think that's fine. I, I think people should be able to flip whatever they want. I would concur. Don't 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 flip people off on Saturday. That'd be pretty bad. <laughs> Really? Because I do that all the time. If Dungey goes full stone cold after every touchdown, I think we're, yes. we might get we might get in trouble. <laughs> all right, so I'll close out with my prediction. Um, I see this game being very close. I think that I think that you know Dungey and Lester have heard their own criticisms, both from each other and from fans. Um, things have been a little too conservative starting games on offense, and I feel like it, it you know it shot us in the foot, especially in the last two games uh, when we lost. Um, I see Syracuse winning this one, though uh, it won't be 
totally pretty. I think uh, the defense rebounds a little bit, forces a couple turnovers. Uh, I think Dungy's able to limit mistakes. Um, hopefully, you know, get the ball to our running backs a little bit more. Um, en route to a 27-23 to win, uh, which would be a welcome sight for LSU fans. Um, not so much for UVA fans, but also potentially give them the chance to just fire London now. Um, because based on, uh, you know, how things have been working lately in, in college coaching, this is now a uh, firing season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all nice that Virginia can pretty much claim the to be the most patient uh, college football program in the country, but I'm, I, I think they probably need to fire Mike London. <laughs> it's just not working. Agreed. Maybe they can okay. re-divert him to, I mean, instead of having to buy him out, maybe they can put him on the campus police staff. Maybe they'll end up sending him to Syracuse. Please, no. We could probably use uh, semester campus police. So after, <laughs> and hopefully everyone Ooh. who's listening is safe and uh, stayed safe last night during all that nonsense. Very much concur. Um, and on that note, <laughs> that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, as always, for listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. And Dan, thank you for joining. You are very welcome. Good luck to uh, our Orange this weekend. Hopefully uh, my prediction looks ridiculous. And hopefully mine looks at 100% right. Go Orange. Let's go Mets. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.